It's like a sliding doors for this kid that grew up in the 50s and 60s. Did you watch Sliding Doors? No. <laughs> like I never saw Sliding Doors. I like nice pull pull using a reference yeah. that you you don't even actually but know the nuances. The concept, you know. Yeah, yeah, sure. Got it. Yeah. Nuances, please. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of Geek Chew, a podcast where we chew over the geeky things we love, like comic books, books, TV, and movies. I'm Eamon. And I'm Charlene. And our intro music is by my brother, Ryan. Uh, this week is Book Club Week. Yay! We read Paul Oster's 4321, a book about Archibald Isaac Ferguson and his... Uh, life? Life. Four different potential paths for his life through the fifties and sixties, mostly when he's growing up. The book was great. Yeah. For the most part, it was very good. Uh, we were about 200 pages in when we ordered it as Christmas gifts for my dad and grandmother. She says that she's been enjoying the book, which is good. But if we had gotten to the adolescent part of the book, before we before Christmas might not have sent that as a Christmas gift to my grandmother. Oh, you think not? I think that it's just a type of thing your yeah. grandmother would like. It it's it gets a little graphic. And like I know that Oh, but I see your grandmother as like an actual human and you yeah. see your grandmother <laughs> as like, you know, That's your grandmother. grandmother. <laughs> which is fine. She's enjoying it, which is fine. <laughs> Because it's a good book. It is. It's a great book. So, I, I mean, before we get into that, we've also done a lot of stuff in the interim. Yeah. Um, it's weird how we fit so much in between recordings. It's almost as if we skipped recording for like two weeks or three. Two weeks. <laughs> That's generous to us. <laughs> One of the best things I thought uh, for our little interim break there was the Netflix series ugly delicious me too that was awesome which is only like eight episodes long kind of disappointingly short but just a really great food show basically is like food and culture yeah like a documentary yeah hosted by david jang who apparently owns restaurants and but also in that other dude whose name i can't remember right now but the dude that he wrote the momofuku right yeah i don't know his name either but james it was peter we'll call him we'll call him james peter (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> shoot but there's just something about the show that's very different than other food shows a very particular like point of view yeah, he's he's very unapologetic with his views and his opinions which i like yeah it also has um like a strong focus on racism in america and how it affects yeah. food culture which i think is really awesome and, yeah and you can and i mean because it's something that he grew up with and he talks about it a lot uh growing up korean and wishing that he wasn't and eating that food around his white friends and how difficult that was. And there's also like through the show, these wacky satirical skits that uh, pop up every now and then some of them quite surprisingly. Uh, But I I don't know. It was one of the few things that we 
like legitimately that we legitimately binged and watched every episode as soon as we could. Right. Um, now, I can only remember six of the focuses of the episodes, though. So, like, pizza, fried rice, fried chicken, dumplings, barbecue, and tacos. And there are two more. Thanksgiving. There was a Thanksgiving episode. Yes. There was definitely a Thanksgiving episode. <laughs> oh, well. What else? Noodles? Soup? Noodle soup? We'll go with noodle soup. That might, <laughs> <laughs> that, might not, that might not be it, but we'll, uh, we'll roll. I'm trying it. to think of all the places they traveled. But. I, they were all over the place. It was kind of ridiculous. Houston, I, crawfish. Oh, right the um, the Houston episode, the epicenter of food for the entire world, Houston, <laughs> Texas. It was about a Viet Cajun. That's Viet the one. Cajun. <laughs> you got it. Nice. So. Highly recommend. It was very good. Very, very good. We also went to see Tomb Raider with Alicia Vikander. Yes. Yes. What'd you think? I thought it was very entertaining. Yeah. In like the 90s action movie kind of way. We talked about it a little bit before. Or even maybe like the original Tomb Raider. It was very, I mean, it follows the same beats, right? The father who was an adventurer who. Yeah. Well, I mean, this one had a little bit of a different turn, but at the same time, it like definitely opens up for like a bigger Tomb Raider universe. Whereas, like the even though there was a sequel with the Angelina Jolie Tomb Raider, it, like the first one definitely like ended at like a it was done. But this was really fun to watch. But I I don't yeah, necessarily I mean, uh, think that you know it was worth going to see in the, the theater. Yeah, I don't know. I, I guess it really it felt like there was something missing from this movie. Ultimately, it was you know what wasn't missing, jumping, jumping. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> listen to a podcast before we went, and he the Mark Bernardin on Fat Man on Batman. He was like, "Well, there was a lot of jumping. I'll tell you that, lots of leaping. There was. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I I thought it was still it was fine. Yeah, it was fine. I, it was fine." I, was it like, wow, that was so, I mean, clearly, like, I didn't remember to write it on my list of things that we did right. the, in the meantime. And it was pretty recent that we and saw And it was fairly too. recent, right. So, I don't know. I Do you think they'll make another one? Like, I know everybody's all about the IP, but. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess it depends in the long term how well this performs in the overseas market. Yeah. I'll tell you one thing I learned about while watching this movie. Will you? Yes. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I'll say it right now. Alicia Vikander, just not she's not a good actress she's or only, an actor. Yeah, she's, like it, she's only okay. She's okay. She she brought the Bourne film down. This one, she um, I don't know. I just not my. She's thing. not like super compelling. I am. She's got some shoulders though, like muscly shoulders. She was pulling and pushing on a lot of stuff in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I read the book um, a light between oceans and so she's in that movie with michael fassbender Mm -hmm. and i am interested in seeing that but she and i'm like i don't know maybe she's like the perfect character for the perfect actor for that character maybe i mean because she did you know it's funny didn't she win an academy award for playing an artificial intelligence robot oh my gosh that was her yeah 
Yeah. So, so she was got... acting like herself. What an Academy Award. I mean, maybe Listen, she's Listen, you just... can't just start defending her now. No, <laughs> but you're right. But maybe she's just not so good with the action stuff. And she's better with the like deeper thinky things. Maybe. I don't know. Well, I mean, because those are the... I, I mean, we liked her in uh, The Man from Uncle. Did we like her in The Man from Uncle or did we just like that movie and she didn't really matter that much? I don't remember. I like, because I don't even remember her from the movie. Like, I vaguely remember her being in it. Was, but what I remember is like Army Hammer and Superman <laughs> doing, doing their thing. So, I don't know. Well, maybe we should take a, a relook because, like, I really, I don't know why, but there's something about her that makes me really want to like her yeah. and so it it's troublesome when i'm only just mad <laughs> i'm troubled yes yeah uh we also saw a wrinkle in time yes which was a great kids movie yeah you know what's funny as we walked out of there and we we both kind of had that sentiment that was without reading a bunch of reviews and what critics had been saying and that kind of exact basic sentiment seems to be what was um what was used to kind of couch the movie as like, well, it's not great, but you know, it's not really for me. But I think it but was. But other kids' movies resonate with adults too. And I just think that this was a very particular take that was just meant to be completely itself. You know, there wasn't meant, there wasn't supposed to be like a lot of comedy. There wasn't supposed to be, you know, I mean, like it, it's just a story about how love is the greatest power in the whole universe. Yeah. I, I think it's just supposed to be a hopeful children's story. Yeah. And I, I don't think it, I mean, it did okay at the box office. I actually listened to um, a channel 33 podcast called damage control that talked a lot about uh, the reaction to the movie as you know, kind of what we were saying was people wanted to like it. People, they talked a lot about the relationship between Ava DuVernay and the critics and how they didn't really want to kind of attack the movie or, you know, be super critical of it. And right. Cause uh, what it's trying to accomplish is something so like pure and good hearted. Right. Yeah. And, but she's also the first woman of color to direct a movie that cost over a hundred million dollars to make. And, and so there was a lot of concern, I think not just, not like from the critics perspective, but from, from people who have a lot invested in, in the representation that some of these movies um, are, are affording people, whether the ultimate success and critical reviews of the movie would somehow not somehow would directly affect um, future opportunities for either Ava DuVernay or other women of color, women, whatever, which turns out maybe not so much because Ava DuVernay is going to direct the new gods movie for DC, which is coming out sometime in the, in the near future, which is pretty exciting. right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Mr. Miracle, dark side, high father, Orion, that's big Barda. Like, I mean, if, I really hope that's like very, Oh, like inspired by like, guardians of the galaxy as far as like humor goes yeah but also and not super well, dark the way other i think yeah i think it's part of a new direction for um for the dc warner brothers collaboration cinematic universe but 
she also has been tweeting a lot about um, Jack Kirby. And so, I mean, if, if it's going to be like Jack Kirby-esque, it's yeah, going to be very... Yeah, that's less funny. Well, but really um, visually appealing, mm-hmm. right? Colorful and um, the... Was it the fourth world where the new gods reside? I'm pretty sure that's what it is, but... I mean, you're you're pulling on a whole lot of strings that I don't know the other end, that like what's on the other end of them. Like that's just not in my wheelhouse. <laughs> but we've, I mean, you haven't read as much of it as I have, but like we've been reading at least Mr. Miracle. We, yeah, we don't which do is amazing. a lot of new God stuff. I love stuff. it, yeah. Um, and by we don't do a lot, I mean like Mr. Zero. Miracle's our first <laughs> yeah. uh, foray into it, but, which has been super good. The seventh issue I think just came out and it was... Uh, I don't know. It's still Wasn't awesome. Orion, it's a 12 issue run. Orion in a. Um, was that Wonder Hulk? Woman. It was in Wonder Woman. Right. We got Cliff Chang's. That's right. And okay. um, Brian Azzarello. Um, but going back to A Wrinkle in Time, it was really, really visually stunning. Like, it was like beautiful to watch. Yeah. Super creative and, yeah. and colorful. You know, you wouldn't want like a New Gods movie to, to mirror that, but to be in that same vein as far as uh, creativity, right? Mm-hmm. And which is clearly opposite of what DC has been up to this point, right? Right. Uh, and intentionally so. And I hope that they actually, I hope that they do go that way. They're really like branching out, I think, not branching out, but trying to get away from the movies that have made them a lot of money, but also have been like really not well received. And I, I don't think it's sustainable to keep going and making those movies the way that they are. Right. They have like Martin Scorsese doing a Joker origin and. Uh, are we really going to have to see a Joker origin story? Well, I mean, it seems like we're going to have to. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just, I don't know why I, I, I guess I have to like, well, analyze like, my feelings on that clearly when and if this comes out we will go see it it's there's, there's no question but i don't really want to <laughs> <laughs> i don't need a joker origin I don't story either. i'm down for the new gods though that sounds really yeah good. i'm totally totally on board for new gods but i i just i don't need another i don't really need like another origin story and i don't need a, a villain origin story like who cares he's the bad guy i really i mean i just don't care not this guy but we also got a couple trailers the new deadpool 2 trailer which uh you know still looks pretty looks great that i'm super excited for yeah it's getting like really high it's getting really high audience scores so far in the test screenings or whatever and it introduces a bunch of the x-force characters that are going to be part of the the movie like domino and whoever else was Zazie Beats? Zazie Beats? What? That's her name. I don't know. The girl from uh, Atlanta. Uh, Van. Vanessa. Oh, cool. Yeah. She's Domino, but Atlanta season two has started, and that is also very good. But Avengers Infinity War trailer also came out, which we got our tickets April 28th. So excited. Very excited. We're going to go see it in IMAX. And have breakfast not, at Pancake Joe's. That's right. Not at the Alamo Draft House. We're really branching out. We really are. It <laughs> so is very. Proud of us. You know what? We want to see this movie enough on opening weekend that we're going to a less preferable 
theater. I don't know if it is. You don't know if it's less preferable than Alamo Draft House? <laughs> That's right. And for, for this for this particular movie, because I'm pretty it's excited IMAX, to go see it in IMAX. I am, and they have the reclining chairs, right? We they got do the re- now. Okay, yes, I'm okay. <laughs> We're in totally on board with the real reclining chairs. Yeah. One last thing before we get into the book, I did watch the Last Jedi digital copy that we got the the director and the Jedi. It's titled. It's like a full on hour and a half documentary that documents the the making of the movie with Ryan Johnson and the producer, and it was. It was really good. Like, yeah. Really good. And had all these, talked about the pre-production and how they have like over 120 sets that they had to build and um, their schedule. And it just had a lot about the actual, obviously about the making of the movie, but also the relationships on set. And they talked a lot about how Mark Hamill was, you know, disappointed in the direction that they had taken Luke Skywalker and talked to Ryan Johnson. I mean, they were very, this is stuff that had come out before the movie was even released but, right. or maybe directly after it, but they really like address it in the documentary. And it, it does kind of like, it sucks to see how, how much it kind of hurt him to have to portray the character like this. But I don't think that's all on Ryan Johnson either. I mean, they kind of painted him into a corner with the force awakens. Right. I mean, they had to, find out why he was like hiding on this island in the right. middle of nowhere but uh it was it was pretty emotional you know i grew up watching those the original trilogy like over and over again i mean who didn't but the documentary was just uh very a very in-depth look at the production of the movie and also a very emotional look at at some of the characters and you know carrie fisher and how she passed away and seeing her on set and all that stuff it was just really good but Enough about that since we didn't even watch that together. I just figured you wouldn't I know. want to spend the time. <laughs> no, I I mean, you're probably right. Like, theoretically, I, I do want to see it. It was worth it. But maybe I'll get around to watching no. it. So, 4321. Shortlisted for the man booker. Yeah, which is basically how we pull all our That's how I've been pulling all of my books that yeah. I've wanted to read for the past several years now. Uh, this one was quite long, almost 900 pages, which puts it up there as far as... Um, Among the longest books I've read. Yeah. I mean, I read like the Far Pavilions and a lot of Tom Clancy books. Do you know that, that were, the Far Pavilions was the first thing that you recommended to me to read and you lent me your copy and I read it? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. And it was quite long. It was quite long. And I made my way through it. That's dedication. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I knew you were the one. <laughs> I couldn't understand why you picked it for your summer reading book when there were other choices that were much shorter. And you you, you did, though. I don't know. Yeah, I think maybe like you're a, a little bit of a you know? show-off. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> I'm very showy. <laughs> that's anyway. kind of my MO. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, let's actually talk about this book. Yeah. I mean, it was, um, you know, like I, we already said a little bit in the beginning, it was, it basically fall. It's like a sliding doors for this kid that grew up in the fifties and sixties. Did you watch sliding doors? No. <laughs> like I never saw sliding doors. I like nice pull, pull using a reference yeah. that you, you don't even actually but know the nuances. The concept, you know. Yeah, yeah, sure. Got it. Yeah. Nuances, please. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So, I mean, basically, it it sets it up 
what I mean to me in my head, it was only like 10 pages where they have this whole kind of introduction to this family lineage and how he was born and all this stuff that was so condensed and he fits so much information. The way he tells a story is just very impressive to me. Right. I think that's what drew me into the book in those first few pages. Interestingly, um, I was talking to my BFF Erica about this and she mentioned that she felt like the writing was almost musical. And then um, in the, the 30 minute or so interview at the end of the audiobook, which you listened to and yeah. you know, I did as well. He does mention that like there's sort of a, a music to the, to the reading out loud of a book, which, yeah. which is interesting. And, and I do feel like Paul Oster's writing is, does have that sort of rhythm and, and like um, melody and just like a, a beautiful flowing, sort of pattern that draws you in. That's just like, yeah, it's not quite like anything I've read. I don't think. Right. It's, it's just, which is, I guess, I mean, I'm not like the most well-read person, but I've read a book or two. Yeah. 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 Me too. Saying something. It's I've, I've read, I I feel like I'm a fairly well-read person as far as, you know, someone who doesn't study, literature for a living goes, you know, like I, I read quite a bit and, um, also listen to books quite a bit and which I count as reading. And, um, we've discussed. (laughs) So you're just saying that all blind people (laughs) that listen to audio books, they, they don't read anything, everything because that's ridiculous. (laughs) You can start from which I do consider reading, (laughs) which I do consider reading. I don't know. Anyway, and and even still, this was just something so, like, beautifully melodic in the way that that his prose is is laid out. Yeah, it's, it's funny that you that you bring up the melody of his words, and also uh, that he talks about those because you had said it took you a while to get into the uh, the way that he read the book, right? Yeah, it's. I mean, no, I didn't say that, but. Joe uh, had said that because he listened to the entire thing in audiobook no. and and he he did say it took a, a little it. bit <laughs> but um when I picked it up I did notice like that you know cuz I I read most of it yeah. you know in a paper copy and then read the rest of it via audiobook and um I'm, I am very particular about who I prefer to to listen to read right. I don't want anyone to be like overly dramatic um and i don't want it to be like monotone either right it's hard to make a good audio book i would imagine it really is i haven't done it but (laughs) (laughs) but i've listened to some and they are it's some of them are just way over the top and some of them are just um uh, unlistenable yeah i i feel like i would be pretty excellent at it for no, I have no basis on that at all. <laughs> you don't really need any. You just have to believe. <laughs> <laughs> well, so these four timelines. Mm-hmm. How did how did you like feel about that? Like the and and following along from like timeline to timeline, because it didn't just go all of one timeline, all of another timeline. The layout, like the structure, was like this portion of life 
for each version, this portion of life for each, each version, how difficult or not difficult was it for you to fo- to follow along and to remember what had happened to previous Archie? Well, it was quite difficult um, when we were, I'd say we, we were at a different um, paces, but it was really difficult when I was not consistently reading it. Uh, when I would take, I would read 50 pages and then take like a long break of a week or two weeks before I went back to even look at the next chapter. And I was like, Oh my God, how the fuck am I supposed to remember? Like, so I would even, but even when it got easier to kind of track as maybe some of the Archies kind of fell off and by fell off, I mean died, (laughs) uh, but I did have to like keep going back to the previous chapter of that Archie to to reorient myself and kind of flip through all like 30 or 40 pages of that mm-hmm. chapter to kind of uh oh that's right this happened for him and that's that's what he was he was doing at that time or whatever what's interesting i, I read this um there was like a moderated panel sort of book club thing on the new york times website uh that had paul oster uh, participating with um, with people asking questions and stuff, and he actually he he wrote this book from like beginning to end. He didn't do each Archie and kind of you know right, which is incredible to me. Like I mean, he did say in that interview too that that that's how he wrote it. He wrote it, you know, each chapter as yeah. it went basically, and I you know, and that but he did have to make notes a little bit to, to kind of keep track of some details. But for the most part in his head, each of those Archies was like a person. So it wasn't as difficult for him to, to separate them as he was writing. Yeah. Um, which I, you know what? I didn't have quite as much like once I like, Whenever I started a new chapter, like I didn't memorize which Archie was 4.1, 4.2, 4. et cetera. But um, once I started and like got a little bit more of the details, I'd be like, oh, right, this is the one that the, right. that did this, that this happened to. And um, yeah, and, and the, uh, the, the interview at the end of the audio book really kind of confirmed what you could feel reading through those stories is that a lot of this is kind of like semi autobiographical. Um, like a lot of the stuff happened to him or around him, especially the kind of interminable Columbia right. stuff, the uh, protests at Columbia. I feel like autobiographical is um, like too strong. Cause I think he just took that place in time that he was very familiar with and then created a new person but, well, out of it. Sure. I said like semi autobiographical because there are things in the book that actually happened to him. The, the events in the gym, uh, yeah. the, yeah. the chronicling of the protests at Columbia, he was there, he did all that stuff, you know? So I'm not saying like, this is exactly what happened to him. I'm just saying he put more, I think of his personal experiences into this particular book than you might see in a, in a regular fiction novel. Yeah. And I don't know, what what did you think about the end where it kind of reveals that the four different Archies are kind of like this meta narrative novel that I the actually, fourth Archie has been writing? So I figured it out. Yeah. Um, I didn't figure it out super early on. 
Um, I did like when speaking to my bestie about it, like we did sort of realize that like these other Archies would sort of fall off. But like at, at some point closer to the end, I was figuring it out that this was a story being written. Yeah. But like in a meta way, right. you know, well, that and makes then, one of us. So. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I, I like to, to think, you know what I mean? Like that's, I feel like something that I right. have practiced doing is, is trying to like wheedle out these little things going on. Um, but I still like, even though I figured that out and knew that that was what it was, I still go back to like the original version of me reading that thinking like, you know, there's all this lead up to, to the moment when Archie is born. Um, and then we have these four different universes of Archie, but then like, you know, we meet Amy who is across all the timelines and like how many different versions of Amy could there be? And how many different versions of um, Rose Archie's mom could there have been to get her to the point to where, you know, to, to have those four Archies, like there could be four other Archies and a different version of Rose that made it to that point. And, you know, all the branches of possibilities and timelines that I think, I don't know, like my brain just goes in all of those weird directions it's part of the reason why I love this story so much is all the possibility, you know? Yeah. And it, I don't know. One of the things that frustrated me about the book and the format was even once I was done, it was, uh, some of, some of the differentiating factors or, you know, characteristics of each Archie really stuck with me, but some of it kind of didn't and I kind of can't remember exactly what happened to who. And once you get to the end and figure, you know, or wherever people figure it out, uh, you know, what exactly is happening in the book? It's kind of like, well, I wish I could remember everything that happened to number four specifically, and then three and then two and then one. And just, you know, I don't know. In that respect, it was, it was a little frustrating to, um, to read the book and not remember every single detail, but also because we, it was so spread out, it took us so long to finish it Right, <laughs> where this is going to be. I think we can go ahead and guarantee this will be the longest book club book that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and we will keep the others shorter, maybe 400 shorter. pages, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's not to take away from how much I enjoyed the book. You know, I, I really, the only bit of the book that was, uh, kind of interminable for me was that uh protests at columbia stuff right as much as like i i found it to be important and like historical information that that should not be forgotten and but i feel like a lot of it it just stepped out of archie and following archie and just kind of was like a documentary on this on the goings on at the time so it would be one thing if i had chosen to read a book about this this specific topic and the and the stuff that went on in columbia and at this time in the civil rights movement but i felt it it did stagnate the story a little bit as far as moving forward with the characters that we were invested in at that point and i guess it i mean it's kind of a reflection of that archie the journalist who is 
apart from everything was that like like this i don't even know was that the fourth archie is the fourth archie the journalist i'm pretty sure he is no Mm-mm. because He's the third the, one is the memoirist and that's the one that is at the end right no no. The third one is the memoirist who has certain proclivities that the other Archies don't, right? He's um, with that guy in oh, France and he right, dies stepping correct. off the curb or whatever. And the first one is the story writer. Okay. Right? Whatever. Yes. It's, so four is the journalist. Right. And I think and I can up, see that that's yeah. the documentary style of that. I guess it was just one chapter. It felt like three mirrors his um, detached observation of of what's going on is the best explanation I can give for why it was so fucking boring (laughs) to me. It was right. I mean, it's not that the information itself was boring to me. It was just that it, it didn't seem on pace with the rest. Yes, exactly. Whatever. Um, So yeah, I agree with you there that that would be like, I mean, and I think that I even said to you when I got to that part, because you were a little ahead of me at that time, and I was like, how about this? Oh, my goodness. And you were like, right? Yeah. But other things? I don't know. I mean, there were obviously some similarities uh, across the timelines. Most notably, I think that he's just, he's a writer. Like, he wants Mm -hmm. to be, even the one who dies super young had started his own paper. Right. You know, at, at school, and then... I think that was my favorite one. But I think it's also because I didn't have a chance to like see him grow into a person that had qualities I disliked. Yeah. And I think also maybe he was supposed to be right. Like when it gets to the end and it says that he's been writing all these stories, it says he, he lets those Archies die when he feels um, that they are the most fully realized or whatever, when when he's most satisfied with that version of himself. It's so hard. (laughs) But that was, yeah, I mean, that first death was, was really surprising. Yeah. Right. Like I think that was, I think that was probably the most surprising part of the book. Like there was quite a few surprises throughout the book. Mm -hmm. None quite so shocking as like, um, Okay, so that's that's done after, what, two chapters, three chapters maybe? Right. And then the rest of the book, it's just a, a chapter heading and you just keep flipping through that. Yeah. I don't know. There's just, There was a lot to like about this book, but I guess I don't really have have too much else um, to, I just think to say about it. The characters are so beautifully realized and yep. um, just emotionally complex. And I just think that, it's very real. Yeah. Right? I think everyone should read it because it's, you know, there's always a little bit of something in there that you're, you're like, that's, that's who I was at, at one time. Right. I mean, obviously that's who I was and like, but didn't have those words and still don't probably like I couldn't express yeah. myself in that way. Even now, not yeah. even close. Right. Right. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I do think a little shout out to New Jersey that it took place in, in all the areas that we've been to a couple of times since, right. you know, your sister lives in that area. Yeah. Montclair. I don't know why you get like a little jolt of like, Ooh, yeah. <laughs> like recognition and like, Hey, um, when really it's, it's just a place that we don't even live, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was still fun. Yeah. So, but I, I guess that'll probably wrap it up. Right. Have we picked, have we decided? 
on the next book. I do not think that we have. Okay, so right now it's down to City of Thieves by... Um, Benioff? Yeah, David Benioff. Or History of Wolves. I guess. Or I don't, Commonwealth. I haven't, I haven't read the descriptions for any of these books. Even my suggestions. Oh, okay. I just suggested that book because I've heard it referenced a few times. Okay. So Commonwealth is not a man booker finalist oh, from last scratch. year. <laughs> <laughs> Kidding. It did win a national book award though. Uh, yeah. So it did win right. a book award. No. Or was nominated for? Did it win? We're really going to have to research the awards that this book won before we even give it serious consideration. I just feel like um, anything that was shortlisted for the Man Booker, I'm going to enjoy. Sure. So that's what History of Wolves was. And I also really do enjoy um, first novels by authors Mm -hmm. that were then nominated for the Man Booker. Mm. Like this History of Wolves. So... That's, you know, but I'm going to let you pick because I picked this one, right? Four, three, two, one. Didn't I pick it? No. You picked it? We picked it together. It was basically me who picked it and you signed off on it, but we'll just let it go. (laughs) Oh, for some reason, I thought I gave you like a couple of choices. You gave me a couple of choices and this is the one I chose. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Therefore, I chose it. Okay. (laughs) Well, so then you mean I get to pick this one? Yeah, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) okay well that's like i mean maybe if i give you a list of a couple books you can pick Ooh, ouch Mm. fine maybe we should do it that way i'm just saying if we're gonna just reverse it that's how it'll have to go i'm not i'm not married to it though yeah but your pick so far is 10 years old i don't know what that has to do with anything i don't know keep it current man we're talking about pop culture on our pop culture podcast we don't pop culture didn't exist Pop culture now isn't like, what existed this dude 10 years is like ago. Mr. Pop culture. Yeah. He's like but the epicenter of all that is pop culture. Exactly. Right now. So wouldn't you say that what he wrote 10 years ago was the epicenter of pop culture 10 years ago? He's supposed to be one of the best American novelists. So I'm just saying. I don't know why we're arguing about this when. I think it's because I don't want to read City of Thieves. Fine. Scratch it off the list. I'll just yeah. read it in all my spare time. Anyway, let's wrap this up. Okay. We will come up with a book and let those three people know. And (laughs) uh, we will be back with uh, some more episodes with comic books and movies and TV and stuff. So it was fun. It was smart. We liked it.